Hey, Kathy, do you know what time of year it is? I do. It's the holiday season. Right. And this year, I'm planning ahead and stocking up on a gift that will cover all the readers and want-to-be readers in my life. Well, give us this great gift idea. Okay. It's our new Read Happy, the ultimate reading journal. And we designed it with our friends in mind, so it's perfect. Plus, it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, bookshop.org. And there are links on our website, gameofbookspodcast.com and journalhappy.com. Happy holidays. And happy reading. Welcome to GOB with Christy and Kathy, where we talk about writing, reading, and life in between. I'm Christy in South Florida. And I'm Kathy in South Dakota. We're two newbie writers who share our love of food, wine, and crime fiction. We have interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors on our Corks and Conversation episodes. And don't forget our Words and Progress episodes where we have fun writing lessons with writing experts. Join us for today's episode. Welcome to our new Crime Book Chat episode. This is really exciting, Christy. We're starting a new episode this season where we get to talk with four different authors about their books and about writing and life in general. Yes, it's a, it's a lot like our Corks and Conversation episodes, only I'm thinking four times the fun, don't you? Uh, yes, at least. Let's hope it even <laughs> extrapolates from there. Um, what's really great is we have a great group of writers from all over the place. I know. I can't wait to hear where they're all at. They're, I'm, I know they're, I'm pretty sure they're all in North America. <laughs> and I'm really loving the Zoom for that reason. So. Yeah, right. Well, let's jump in with some introductions. I will get started here with Steve Stratton. If you are watching us on YouTube or happen to have a video, he's in the bottom. Well, I don't know where he'll up. be, actually. We he's on your screen. <laughs> Everybody's screen looks oh, different. That's right. Did you realize? <laughs> I feel like we're in the Brady Bunch. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Steve Stratton is an author and Green Beret who has worked in many areas of government, from communications to secret service to special forces. So we're very excited to thank him for his service, first and foremost. Um, Today he develops cyber security products that support the warfighter and intelligence communities. When he is not working, you can find him mountain biking, trout fishing, or hunting in Colorado, in addition to writing. And sleeping at some point, I'm guessing. We'll see. Uh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Um, Shadow Tear is my debut novel. And uh, like many other authors, I think uh, in the past, I picked an easy subject. It's a revenge book. Um, but uh, in this case, it takes place a lot in Mexico, uh, L.A., Tampa, Florida. And it's uh, really the crime part of my book is about the Sinaloa drug cartel and fighting the drug war. And so uh, FBI, (laughs) yeah, Sinaloa can be pretty tough. So, but uh, thank you. Oh, that sounds great. Um, Also, we have Debbie Levinson. Um, She's an award-winning author and publicist. Um, Her life has two parts. The first is in Canada, and that's where she attended the University of Toronto and the Royal Conservatory of Music. And the second is in Connecticut. I'm not sure which place she is today. We'll have to ask her. And that's where she lives with her three children, 
two doodles and one husband. (laughs) We're so happy to have you here today. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about your latest release. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. This is great. Um, So I'm just going to hold it up because I'm so proud. This just released yesterday. Uh, Yesterday was a beautiful cover. Congratulations. Um, So it is my debut novel. And even though I I did write a nonfiction, a true crime before, but this is a, a novel and it's very loosely based on true events. Um, a few years ago, there was this spate of lawsuits that I had followed in Connecticut, um, where these middle-aged men came forward to launch lawsuits against the very elite private schools that they attended as boys, alleging abuse. And, um, and I started following the media coverage about the cases and, uh, reading the complaints. And it was just so horrifying what these young boys went through. Mm. They were so vulnerable. They were, they were so preyed upon. And the adults all around them were so complicit in the abuse. Like everybody knew what was going on at the schools and nobody reported, nobody stepped in to stop it. So, I just thought it was a really important story to tell. And and also a story that's not limited to Connecticut by any means. It's all over the world and still going on, still going on. Like, as a matter of fact, this past summer, there was um, a huge, a huge thing where the prince and princess of Denmark pulled their young son, their 16 year old son, Prince Christian, out of his prestigious private school because there were all these allegations of sexual abuse. Oh and wow! Where all the leadership turned a blind. Well, eye. that makes that makes the title of your book um, a very appropriate nest of snakes. Yeah. So, and that's that matches the cover too. So, if somebody's on YouTube, come and look at it. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. Okay, it's my pleasure to introduce Marco Carroll Carey. Uh, He is an award-winning author who originally hails from Switzerland, uh, where he has worked in numerous jobs and capacities, including slinging food for the masses on a major airline, which I think (laughs) could be its own like storyline, I'm pretty sure, and enjoying five seconds of fame in a mostly forgotten but gratifying career as a photographer of erotic art. Thank you very much. (laughs) Marco lives in um, the Californian desert with his exceptionally sweet and supportive, parentheses, patient, husband. (laughs) And Marco, we're thrilled to have you join us. And why don't you show us uh, or tell us about your book? Well, first of all, like everyone else, great to meet everyone. And thank you so much, Christy and Kathy, for inviting me. Uh, I'm yeah talking to you from Palm Springs. And uh, my novel is also a debut uh, from last year called Blackout. And um, it tells the story of a 40-something photographer uh, living in New York who picks the wrong night to get a little freaky and he witnesses murder across the street as one does when one happens to get high on a joint (laughs) one is unaware is laced. And uh, by the time the cops come around, there is no crime scene, no body, and he makes for the most unreliable witness. Until days later, they do find a body. And of course, he goes to prime suspect, especially when it turns out not only did he know the victim, but it ends ter- uh, connect to the 40-year-old murderer of his father, wow. who was killed 
before, uh, right before the New York City blackout of 77 hit. So you have the blackout of the character and blackout in 77. And the uh, book tends to go back and forth a little bit to bring the story together. Oh, wow. That sounds, that sounds great. Great. Thank you. Okay. And last but not least, we have <laughs> Joel Shulkin, MD, and he's an, uh, the author of Adverse Effects and Toxic Effects, the first two novels in the Memory Thieves series. And he's a penned award-winning short stories and poetry. He's a pediatrician and a United States Air Force veteran. Again, thank you for your service with a master's in public health. Joel lives in Florida with his wife and two daughters. So Joel, what, what can you tell us about your latest work? Sure. So Toxic Effects is the most recent. It just released three weeks ago. And it's a sequel to Avis Effects, which debuted in 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. Um, the series is about a psychiatrist who is so impressed with the results of an experimental memory drug, Recognate, and so desperate to recover her own memories that she lost in a crash that claimed the lives of her parents, that she starts popping the pills herself. And everything is great. She's remembering. She remembers her parents. She remembers her life. She knows who she is until she starts having memories that don't belong to her. And Ooh. then when two of her patients become psychotic and suicidal, she's now really worried the drug might be a fault. And then a stranger on in a completely empty bus tells her that everything she knows is a lie. And she and the people who did it to her want something that's locked away in her brain. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's shivers. That's all. I know. I really did sort of get a little bit like goosebumps. I'm like, somebody else's dreams? Oh, it's like a cross between uh, Born Identity and Total Recall. I was oh, thinking okay. Born Identity. Yeah. But now I can see Total Recall too. Yes. <laughs> well, this is so great. Welcome to all of you. I Congratulations to all of you on your releases, Debbie, especially for yours yesterday. Um, we, Christy and I have had the pleasure of meeting. Debbie um, previously in Thriller Fest a couple of years ago, and we've met Marco, and it's just such a pleasure to meet Steve and Joel today. Um, so I'll start with the first round of questions, and I'll let everybody know who is going to answer in what order so we can try to keep um, our listeners' um, brain straight as we're all giving information. <laughs> um, so as you all know, readers love to know where the idea for plot or characters come from. And we're wondering if you can share that with us. Um, and then I know Debbie already mentioned where her plot had come from. So in that situation, give us an idea what comes first for you, plot or character. You choose. And so let's start with Debbie. Um, definitely plot came first for me, as I mentioned, uh, where I got the story idea from. But um, but character was interesting. Um, if you want, I can tell you very briefly how I came across my protagonist, his name is Brendan Cortland. Um, and so I'll tell you as background, I am a child of two Holocaust survivors. And so throughout my life, I've known a lot of other survivors, friends of my parents. I, I had the perspective of seeing them over the years. And, uh, you know, when I was an adult, it sort of occurred to me that, yes, these people had had this horrific trauma in their childhood or their young adulthood. Um, and yet they seem to be able to build these very fulfilling lives, very normal lives, if you will. Um, they had families and careers and, and what have you. By far, the, the majority of them were well-adjusted. 
And then I started thinking, okay, so what happens if you take a person who is the extreme, who um, survived some sort of a trauma in childhood, but was never able to process it, was never able to get beyond it, and was so, um, you know, chronically affected by it, what would their life look like? And so that's sort of how I built the character of Brendan, who at the beginning of the story is a very broken man. There's so many current events too, Debbie, that I just can, I I think that you can tie that into It's sadly. Yeah, Yeah, it is sad. It is true. So, so Joel, I'm going to shoot to you because you're a physician and you're writing about drugs. And I love the name of the drug that you created because I always find the names of drugs kind of weirdly either comical or I'm not sure what it's just the commercials and stuff. And so um, tell us about that. Is that, is your work as a physician where this came from or where did your storyline come from? So for me, it was sort of premise character and then plot. Um, So I'm a developmental behavioral pediatrician. So there is a lot of overlap with neurology and psychiatry and psychology. So I do manage uh, medications, not memory drugs, but I do work a lot with ADHD (laughs) and anxiety Um, And so when I was doing my fellowship in Boston, uh, I would take the bus to and from work and I was riding uh, the bus one day and it was a snowy day and it was empty bus. This guy got on and out of the entire empty bus, he decided to sit right behind me. (laughs) And I was uncomfortable, but I could imagine, (laughs) I saw my mind started twisting and imagining if I was a woman, how creeped out I would be. Especially if he started talking to me and really especially if he said something like, I know who you really are. (laughs) (laughs) And so I got home, I talked to my wife about it. um, And we started coming up with this idea that, well, maybe it's a maybe it's a psychiatrist who works with memory and she's lost her memory. Um, And I wanted to make a Brazilian because my wife is from central Brazil and we'd only been married for less than a year at that point. So I really kind of modeled the character after her. And then we started talking through the rest of the plot. Um, and even though I do work with all this, I did have to do a little extra research, especially into memory because it's, it's not my area of expertise. So I researched what studies were coming out, what they're experimenting with. So I could try to make it somewhat realistic. And I also tied in some current events too, because I was doing a master's of public health at Harvard at that point. And one of the courses I was taking was on global human rights and ethics. And oh. so one day we were talking about um, experiments that were being done in other countries with no uh, oversight. And I started thinking, wow, how, how could that be abused? And, what is, and how could that tie into this story as well? They say right what you know, but... <laughs> right. Was your wife a little freaked out? <laughs> <laughs> no, she was actually... So I was writing it chapter by chapter and I would have her read each chapter and each time I would give it to her, she would read it and say, go write the next one. Go write the oh. next one. <laughs> That's like a built-in audience. That's awesome. So, Marco, I, in your in your bio that we got, it does mention your brief stint as a photographer, and I think you mentioned your character in Blackout as a photographer. True. Yes, and it has absolutely nothing to do with each other, which is the, <laughs> the funniest thing. Uh, you know, often you have exactly that. You have an experience in life, and you take that, and that sort of helps you solve the crime. And I, for me, I didn't want that. I, I wanted the character to be three-dimensional. And so I, he had to have a job. And I thought, well, photography works. Plus, 
once I actually really got into writing the thing and I had my idea and I had my protagonist, I sort of wanted him to have the same sort of struggles I had. Uh, he's in his early 40s, which at the time I was, and um, I had not hit my peak. Uh, I was doing well enough. I made money and I could clearly support myself, but I was not famous. I'd never reached all any of the goals that I perhaps had set for myself. And I asked myself, where to from here? What's happening next? I wanted the character to have that to a point so that he is sort of rudderless in a way, but he has a support system, his friends. And then this really horrific thing happens to him that really pulls the rug from out from under him where he just is floundering. And then he sort of needs to rediscover himself, who he is, uh, that perhaps a lot of things that he thought he knew growing up were lies um, and what really happened 40 years ago, uh, an event that he sort of still blames himself for um, because he was four, his dad got killed. He woke up during the attack and he didn't make a sound. He, he just, he was shocked. He couldn't do anything. So subconsciously, he's still blaming himself uh, for having played a part in it rather than maybe crying out or, or crying for help or whatever. And uh, he needs to come to terms with all these things. Interesting. Okay, Steve. So we are talking about you have a long history with things, and you are writing about things that sounds like you may have had a lot of knowledge about. Yes, indeed. Uh, I have a long history with the drug war and uh, Colombia, Mexico, Panama, Ecuador, and uh, this uh, the inciting, in my case, the inciting incident was a real life incident. My mother was killed in a car accident, and it was drug runners in Mexico. And so... Uh, you know, at that point, I had serious thoughts about invading Mexico. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was really mad at, the, oh, wow. at that time and uh, trying to process what, had, yeah, what had gone on. So it that was in 1993. So that tells you how long it's taken for me to like. I did storyboards. I did PowerPoint picture things. You know, I did all kinds of things, and then finally, my wife sort of kicked me in the shins mm -hmm. and said, "Just write a book." Because I didn't have any inkling of becoming an author. Just wow. write the book, get it out, you know, that kind of thing. And it started to grow from there. And um, I uh, investigated the the genre, the, the thriller slash crime military genre. And was looking around and it's like, wow, we've got Cortland Gentry, right? The Gray Man. We've got The Terminal List by Jack Carr. We've got all these great protagonists. Pike Logan from Brad Taylor. I need to do something different. And I'm a, a real fan of history and a, a Native American history. And so my protagonist, Lance Bearwolf, is oh, Native Crow. And so, uh, yeah, so I've made a lot of great friends up in, in, in the Crow Reservation in Montana and the university there, things like that. And so I wanted a protagonist that thought differently. It came at the world differently than, um, you know, another <laughs> another military white guy. And so <laughs> and my guy, my guy is a military <laughs> Native American. But uh, so there's some some similarity there. But, uh, yeah, I've been able to luckily been able to take a lot of what I had uh, from my time in the government, in the army uh, down in South America and other things and apply it to my books and uh, either things I experienced or other things that 
former teammates experienced and stuff that I can draw on. So it helps me. But uh, yeah, the, the writing the book was cathartic. Yeah. Um, and then um, I got an editor and it was really cathartic. Because <laughs> I, I learned how much uh, of the American, uh, the English language that I didn't know. <laughs> you know, and uh, I took a, I took a, a a mentorship with Jerry Jenkins, who's down in, in Colorado Springs, right? Wrote the Left Behind series, was yeah. a former former big time editor. And uh, yeah, he he taught me how to uh, get things in, in uh, proper sentence formats, <laughs> things like that. Well, that kind of leads me to our, our next question. So we can start with you. You've told us a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Our reader, our listeners always want to know about, you know, your writing processes, mm-hmm. especially since a lot of you are maybe all of you, I don't have other jobs as well. So um, you've talked about your learning process. Um, how do you fit in the writing? And are you are you like a nighttime writer, morning writer, weekend writer? How do you do things? Well, I just retired uh, June 30th. Congratulations. So oh, I've got a bit more time. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. But um, yeah, and when I started writing this uh, Shadow Tear in 2019, it was like Thanksgiving through Christmas time frame, uh, just I actually normally would get up around four uh, five thirty six, you know, just sort of leftover military time. But I woke myself up because I'm in Colorado. Everybody is two hours ahead of me on the East Coast. I was waking up at four thirty, drinking some coffee, get awake, and then start writing about five, write five to seven, sometimes five to eight, before I'd have to be on Zoom. Sometimes five, six hours a day on Zoom calls and stuff, certainly like during the pandemic when we weren't traveling. But that mm-hmm. that kind of discipline, when my brain works best in the morning, works for mm-hmm. me. And so I still, mm-hmm. like this morning, I, I woke up at, at 4.10. Don't know why, but I did. And so I was awake mm-hmm. and I grabbed some coffee and, and uh, started writing. So that works for me. It's when, when mm-hmm. I've got, I think the most IQ, I jokingly <laughs> say I've still I've got the most IQ, but really it's when I'm the most creative is in early in the morning. So I don't know, Joel. Do you think that your memory is better it in depends. the morning, or is that yeah, it depends on? And you know, when I wrote Adverse Effects, I was doing the fellowship, and um, I had a little bit more time that if I had no shows, I could do some writing, or um, you know, my wife would let me go write while she was. Uh, watching TV, for example. So I would just write for a little bit today. Go ahead, go write. Um, and then we had twins. And that went out the window because between the, you know, the <laughs> eight to five work schedule and then every time after that was taking care of the kids, um, there really wasn't that time. So what I've had to do is more like what Steve does, which is I get up at five every day. Um, I have, after I do some of my quick chores, I make some cereal, I get an hour to write and then I have to help get ready, you know, for work and I'm ready for school. Um, and so I write as much as I can. I shoot for about 500 words during that time period. Sometimes it's a lot more, sometimes a little bit less. Um, wow. And sometimes I get, I'm lucky and I get extra times mm-hmm. over lunch, whatever, to do a lecture writing too. But that way, at least that's how I wrote Toxic Effects because I was in this position, you know, when I started writing it, I only had a year to write it. Whereas, you know, Average Effects was written over the course, you know, and rewritten over the course of 10 years. So. <laughs> right. The first book is all, and then you have that deadline. Right. Oh, goodness. Well, Debbie, you have three kids. 
So what do you, are they, if they're still at home, how are you working around all that? Well, so they're not officially at home anymore. We're supposed to be empty nesters at this point, but they, like, oh, okay. they just keep coming back. They're like boomerangs. It's a theory. In theory, you're empty nesters. <laughs> yeah. so, this is a different world. Yeah, yeah they're going to keep coming back, I think. Yeah, yeah. Between, uh, between apartments and, you know, they want to save their money and spend their money. Yeah. Right now, I have one at home, yep. one in Brooklyn, and one in college. Um, but yeah, like I, I agree with you guys. Starting early in the morning when you're fresh and a little bit rested, maybe is um, it works for me too. And I find that as the day kind of wears on, and there's more of a more of a mess being left in the kitchen, and you know, shoes around the house, and whatever, I always feel compelled to put everything in order before I can go back to the computer. So I'm always getting distracted later in the day. Mm-hmm. And Marco, you're on the West Coast, you, and you're probably going to tell us the opposite. You're a nighttime writer. No, no. no. Well, there was a time <laughs> when when uh, when I started blackouts, I wrote whenever I could. It was like uh, I've never been addicted to anything, but this was an addiction. I, I wrote all the time and I had my regular job. I was a photographer at the time. Well, still am. Uh, but I was doing my own stuff with my own clients. And at the same time, I was also working for a major uh, photography studio organizing uh, international shoots and stuff. So there were free times, free segments in between, and I always had my laptop with me. And sometimes I'd go to bed and I'd wake up in the morning, like at three in the morning. Idea, okay. And you're right. And suddenly at six and oh, you have to go wonderful. to work. And so that was that was fascinating. And that was also exhilarating. That has gone away. So I wish I still had that. That would have been great to keep that. But uh, I just kind of wrote from the heart. And uh, German is my mother tongue. Or Swiss German, which doesn't have any rules at all. That's not even, it's not even a language. <laughs> so, so I just wrote and my English is, you know, my English is fairly good. But then as we got to editing process and I did have a publisher who said, yes, we want to do this with you. I realized that there's a lot of, even though I think in English, uh, I'd say 80% of the time, these Germanic sentence structures still slip in. So all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, this guy lives in New York. He's a New Yorker. He doesn't speak that way. That's wrong. So he's yeah. got to go out. And it makes me very self-conscious. So I started taking all these writing classes way before the book was published, but also during, and it's been very helpful. But now in the writing process, I try to do it in the morning, um, either here in the office, or uh, I go to this really very pretty um, outdoor or indoor cafe up the, up, to, up in Palm Springs. That's beautiful, La Haifa. And uh, it kind of gave me a fresh, like a push uh, to just get out, get out of the house, uh, not get distracted with all the things that happen here. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. It, it's working to a point, but I have to force myself uh, to do it. And uh, part of it is that I am just so much pickier than I was in the past. I've learned a lot more, which is helpful, but it's also stifling my creativity. So it goes a lot slower than it used oh, to. Right. There, it's a hard It's a hard line. I mean, when we've talked to so many different authors and, and writing teachers, and it's like, write and then just edit. But there's people, you know, but I'm kind of the same way. I can't just write random thoughts and then go back and edit it. I mean, I kind of am more methodical as well. And so then it becomes too much in your head and so yeah it's good to get out get out to the to the park or the <laughs> yeah. 
coffee shop. So I think it's time for a little beverage break. <laughs> and Christy's going to get the question in the bottle behind her. It's just a random question you might get to at the end of a bottle. But I'm going to have a little beverage. Anybody else want to join me here? All right. So the question is, what is the most... <laughs> What? Debbie, Debbie got it ahead of us, Christy. Oh, I had some time before the podcast. <laughs> it was so good. It's her pub day. Pub it birthday. was such a good cocktail. So. Oh, good. <laughs> anyway, so um, the question is, what's the most useful thing you own? Hmm. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, one of the most useful things is my phone. I'm sad to say it, really, but uh, it is because oh, you can, the minute you have an idea, the minute anything pops into your head and you don't know where to go from there, you're on your phone, you start Googling stuff and, and doing research and going down a wormhole. And it's very, very practical because, of course, you can also keep notes or you, you know, you, yeah. so that has been very helpful the past few years. I would agree with that because also I have Scrivener. And so when I was working on manuscripts, if I was sitting at the uh, the DMV or having my car repaired, I, I could be working on my manuscript on my phone and have to, have to go back and edit all the mistakes later. But at least it was a way of getting all that down. Steve, Debbie, is everybody going to say the phone? Yeah, I'd have to say I'd have to say I, I think so. I mean, I'm I'm pretty old school. I still carry one of these around just to put he's notes point, in. He's picking up I've a notebook all kinds, for those of you, you know, listening. It's just leftovers from when I where I worked. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, and I've got them in all sizes and shapes, and and some are nice moleskin, and other ones are just freebies from conferences, and that's, I grab them up. That and sounds like me too. Notes everywhere. I've got. You no, know, I everywhere. I'm with you. I'm, I I almost I, when I when Christy asked, I was like, oh my my, but. It does cause you to have notes everywhere versus online. It's more centralized. So I'm. Is that I'm does that include that. notes on the uh, a closet door behind you there? Yes. <laughs> the worst part is this entire wall over here that you can't see is all whiteboard, and it's so full that I ran out of whiteboard. So I started using my closet and the back of my door. <laughs> I I I I love, like I love my Google Drive. I love Scrivener, but. God, I like sticky notes and journals, too. <laughs> Apparently, my life needs to be expanded, maybe. <laughs> Debbie, what do you think? Well, I was thinking that in the spirit of this conversation, I should say corkscrew or something. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I really think I was uh, a lush. But, um, yeah, my computer, my microwave. <laughs> I'm thinking electricity's got to be up there, you know? Yeah. But that's not a thing, I guess. That's a dog. Right. You're just coming off of Ian. Wait, dogs. my dogs. Definitely. They're so oh. calming. They're so joyful. There you go. Yeah, there you yeah. go. They're very, they're very useful to a stressed out person. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying my bed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready to get in. I don't night. know. Okay. okay. Well, that was a fun little. All right. Good question, Chris. Sure. Okay, let's go on with uh, some real questions now. Um, so what we want to know is what about writing, the writing and publishing industry surprised you the most? And maybe along those lines, what's, what are the best or the most challenging parts of it? Uh, let's start with Marco. Well, let's see. Uh, I'm surprised. Um, it's, it's a tough business, uh, I think. Uh, I felt it was, or I'm still feeling it is. Uh, I 
my book was published last year uh, and I'm with a smaller publisher, Level Best Books, who has been great uh, in helping me getting the book out. But as with a lot of smaller publishers, there's only so much a smaller publisher will do for you. The money's not there, the infrastructure uh, might not be there. So I, I knew from the get-go and we, the other authors did too, that a lot would fall on us. And I think it's actually happening all over the board now. I hear from people who are with much bigger publishers and they say the same, a lot of promotion falls on them. So I did all that. Uh, I thought it was well prepared and found out that no, not that much. <laughs> I did okay, but I could have done better had I had more of a running time. Um, before and it was overwhelming. I uh, I tanked pretty hard. Uh, got a had a major depression uh, in the middle of the year that lasted almost all the way to the end, which was unfortunate because it was the release of my book. It should have been the best year. Oh, However, yeah. as a flip side, this year uh, perhaps it helped that I got nominated for best of you for a Left Coast uh, Lefty Award, yeah. but that really kind of pushed me forward. So 2022 has been absolutely amazing. And what I also found about the publishing industry, I guess, is the community. Um, the crime fiction writing community is mm -hmm. unreal. It is, it's been the most fascinating and exhilarating experience I've had in a long, long time. I never expected people would welcome me as they did and support me as they have and uh, push me forward. I've been to all the major conferences this year from Left Coast Crime to BoucherCon at the end. Um, it just blew me away. And that, especially, you know, whether you deal with anxieties or depression or whether you're a sunny personality, I think having that support from people you've never met before, uh, who just find out about you because you're on panels or because you start following each other on Twitter and Facebook. It's the lifeblood, I think, uh, in many, many ways for me to help me move forward. And um, I think if it was just the, the publishing industry and making sure you get your book out and then realizing you're running out of money to promote this any further and uh, perhaps you didn't get the sales that you were hoping uh, it, it can be very frustrating and it can be perhaps detrimental in some ways uh, to to just how you look at everything and the support of the writing community really helped me get over that and see things in a new light and I've again had the best year I mean so many great friends. I met so many wonderful people. I'm here with you guys, which is great, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to tap into that, but you also have to do your work there. It's not just that, you know, people are waiting for you, uh, <laughs> but it's absolutely there for everyone and, and, and anyone, I think. Yeah, that's, uh, we've, Kathy, we've noticed and we've talked about it before, how great the crime fiction I mean, we we haven't been oh, hanging yeah. out with a bunch of other, you know, genres, so we can't really totally no. compare, but we, we've we <laughs> heard that crime fictions are the yeah. nicest, you know. Now, I think the first person that mentioned it to us was Lisa Unger, you know, who's very well established, and and she is so, like many very well established authors, are so mentoring to not established new authors, and I don't know if it's genre specific or not, but I I find it to be the most enjoyable group of humans to get to know. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's because we all work our demons out in our writing, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? But in general, it's a pretty great group of um, of people to be around. I mean, you know, at any given conference, and that's how we met Debbie. That's how we met Marco. You just walk up to a group of people, and right away you're involved. What What do you do? What are you writing? Where are you at? How can I help mm -hmm. you? And it's so yeah. great. 
Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I can I can say for the thriller community and thriller fest, I felt the same way. I think that's where we met was uh, thriller fest, mm-hmm. and um, I, I mean just right from the start, uh, people like Wilson of Andrews and Wilson uh, of Brad Taylor and and other folks just they don't have a lot of time to spend, but they give of their time. Yeah. And and the advice I got, I went uh, similar way as as Marco, you know, they they were at the point where they were looking at being in all three type, like self-published, small press and large press. Right. And now they've gone into the Christian side. Um, and so I took the, the small press force beside and works with veteran authors uh, primarily. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, learned learned that I had to do more than what I thought originally as far as marketing and it, getting a website out there and, and of course growing my base and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's been interesting to see and, and play with a bit about what works and what doesn't work. But uh, just the other day I was able to, uh, I'm in a critique group with ITW and got some great well-published people in there and uh, they're giving me, real solid feedback and different ideas. And I can even see, which is sort of strange now that I can see that my writing is improved because of that and because of community. If you want to be in a community, they will welcome you and you can be part of that. You know, if you don't get into that isolated, I'm just writing kind of crazy mode, mm-hmm. which where, where I've, I've been before. So I, uh, yeah, I appreciate the community a whole lot. Me and query manager have, uh, done the rounds a couple times and um you know it's funny i think i'm much better at writing my book than i am writing a query letter and i still need to work on that oh, but, right, so, right yeah anyway you forget uh, i don't know if i i don't know if forget's the right word i think a lot of writers don't realize that it's like running a small business yeah. i mean you you know you're it's a small business that you're running and you have to get the word out and sell your product and that's a very different part of your brain than writing yeah. mm-hmm. and, and, and making community. You got to, the sales are hard, right? It's hard to, it's one thing to write and feel like you want people to sell yourself. It's, it's, it's a trick. It's not easy. I'm just going to jump in and say, I think it's also a very fine line to walk because on the one hand, you don't want to sound too self-promotional and yet mm-hmm. that's your product. Your product is yourself and your, mm-hmm. your work. And, um, you, you know, it's hard to, at least for me, it's hard to find a balance um between you know i'm i'm a shy person by nature i don't want to be talking about myself all day long but you're right you have to get the word out and you have to tell people yeah Yeah. now debbie you went from um you published a nonfiction, and now you're into fiction i mean have you seen a big difference in anything as far Mm -hmm. as how you've had to handle that kind of um promotion no not i mean i started out at thriller fest so that was, right. that was absolutely my first um, taste of the whole thriller community. And um, and I think I met you guys right as my book was launching in 2018. And But, you know, like everybody else is saying, it's just a surprisingly supportive community. And, you know, when you're rubbing shoulders with your literary idols and yet they're treating you like, you know, just one of the gang, it's absolutely incredible. Like, yeah. I will never forget that first Thriller Fest where I turned around, somebody tapped me on the shoulder and turned around 
and it was Lee Childs holding a copy of my book. And he was oh, saying, I like the first chapter. And I'm like, Wow. Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> so here's my question. Were you able to respond to him verbally? Because, um, Kath? No. I think I stammered. No. But then he gave me a blurb. No. He ended up giving That's it a deep. blurb, which went right on the front cover. Awesome. Did he yeah. really? Uh, that wow. that That's same awesome. Thriller yeah. Fest is our infamous one time that Kathy was so starstruck she couldn't speak with Lee Child. She ran into him in the bookstore. <laughs> Just her and him, and she just she was she was so she was so crushed because she couldn't speak. Look, she's still embarrassed years later. I am embarrassed because I was a moron. But anyway, no, if you're listening, Lee, what I meant to say was I respect and admire your work very very much. Nice to meet you. There, now okay. I got it. Yes. <laughs> All right, Joel. What about you? Well, I mean, I don't think I have anything unique compared to what everybody else has said. And my my first book, Adverse Effects debuted during the pandemic in September 2020 and I was registered and and booked and everything to go to my very first Thriller Fest that June or July and then it got canceled and oh. everything that I had planned for in-person events and everything were also canceled and I mean I'm with a bigger publisher you know bigger of the indie publishers and so I had somehow thought that they were going to be doing a lot of you know everything for me and arranging things for me and then suddenly you know the launch was everyone's like okay i don't have anything <laughs> so wow. yeah, like so it was it was a it was a yeah. underwhelming debut but what i on the positive side what i found is that you know what even when you have a book you don't have to stop promoting right after the launch period so i just continued to push even with the, the paperback coming out the following yeah. year and you know the past year and now with the second book coming out where I had a lot more lined up. So, I mean, I've got my calendar like booked out through January with different <laughs> events like this um, and got more, um, you know, with that great community. I had, you know, Jennifer Hillier and Claire McIntosh and May, and May Gardner like posting tweet, you know, tweets. Oh, wow. That's okay, exciting. Great. And um, and because they lowered the cost of the Adverse Effects ebook to only 99 cents as part of the series. I put up my own Facebook ads and was promoting it so that last week wow. it actually, the first book hit number one on Amazon's best seller list for medical thrillers. So, oh, yay! <laughs> wow. So, two years after its debut. Yeah. Joel, I totally agree with you that, because here's the thing readers don't know or care what your pub date right. is, right? Like, if someone's going to listen to this today and they don't care if Marco's book came out yesterday or last year or Debbie's came out today, or last, you know, they, they just want a great book. And we, and so it's like an evergreen process trying to get it out. And I think a lot um, of the problems I, also are if you are with a publisher and aren't they like going to base your next book or next contract on your sales of your first one. So that's why it right. is. In the beginning, you know, but you, it sounded yeah. like you had a two book deal when There's you started. Yes. So you, you right away had to start working anyway. Right. Right. That, right. that must've been a change. Right. Now just to open that. We talked to, um, Ashley Winstead, uh, in our most, I guess, upcoming episode. And she had the most interesting reaction to, um, the stress of the second book when you have a contract. Mm -hmm. I think almost every author we've talked to is like, oh, now there's this whole stress because I've got a deadline, I've got a contract. 
And she said she found it to be completely freeing. And I thought that was oh, so interesting. Me. She wasn't doing a, um, a sequel, so she was doing yeah. a different standalone, but she just decided yeah. to write oh, yeah. whatever she wanted. And I was yeah. like, okay. I th- I th- yeah, and I just... I've, we've never I think heard the that sequel before. is harder because yeah. you're trying to make it fresh and original, but still consistent with the first one. And I mean, I wrote a draft. I wrote out I thought was a great you know, sequel and sent it to the editor, and the editor's like, "Nope, this is crap." So then I said, <sighs> so then I went and sat down and wrote it again, and I already gone through like beta readers too, and I sent it again, a little better, but still crap. So, <laughs> so <sighs> by the and then I was like, I was actually in that depressed state at that point. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to get anywhere. And I finally, I talked to my wife a little bit about what, you know, maybe some of the issues were. And I, and I had my agent read it because she hadn't read it at that point because she wanted just to leave it with the publisher. And then both of them gave me suggestions. And suddenly I just had this epiphany and rewrote it again, sent it to them. And he's like, I love it. So. Oh, great. But you had to, you rewrote the whole thing. This wasn't just like a summary. (laughs) No, this was, I mean, this was cutting out characters, changing entire plot lines, um, changing the character arcs, like everything was different, but it must have worked because now it's getting like five-star reviews. And great. So on that, I'm going to segue into our last kind of meaty question here is that I would love to know what ad- advice you would give to other writers who are newer in the process than you guys are, and also what you're working on now that you can share. And let's start with Joel. Well, um, I actually just did a, a, a podcast on the Charlotte Readers um, podcast about this, because I think that write what you know that you know Steve was mentioning is actually taken out of context. When I first started writing, and I was originally writing fantasy. Um, and then I met Michael Palmer and talked with him, you know, in, at, a con- at a medical study conference um, and started getting a little more interested in medical thrillers. But then I kind of hit a brick wall. I'm like, I'm a developmental pediatrician. I work with like autism ADHD. How the heck am I going to make that into a medical thriller? <laughs> and I actually emailed Tess Gerritsen and asked her what to do. Because everybody says, write what you know. And she went back and said, you know, that's ridiculous. You don't need to write what you know or only what you know. You should write what you want to know about or what you want to read. And I think that's an important message for readers, you know, for new writers is to take parts of things that you know about. And if you don't know about it, research. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, even though I work in medicine, I had to go and research about um, you know, more about psychiatry and neurology. And I clearly had to research about, you know, detective work because it's not like that's something I had to do, you know, I did before. Right. Um, and how the FBI functions. So, um, and I'm not Brazilian, but my wife is. And so, um, you know, have, you know, I think, you know, there's always that whole thing now about, you know, writing characters that are not like you. And I think the, the point is that the, the key is that I wasn't writing a story about being Brazilian. I was writing a character who happened to be Brazilian and it fits the story. But I also made sure that I checked with her that the character was authentic and that what she was mm-hmm. saying was authentic. So I think those are kind of the takeaways. Now, what I'm working on right now, I actually have three other books that I have uh, finished. Three more medical thrillers. Three are finished? Three are finished. Wow. <laughs> are those the ones that you had rejected 
No. So these are ones I wrote after Adverse Effects. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, golly, that's you, a lot of writing. So I told you, 500, 500 words a day and you can get it you done. You can do that, it. Right? Oh, gosh, that's inspiring. Six months, you get a whole book. So um, so one is more of a, a military. It's a it's about a military armed forces medical examiner. When a, when a corpse comes back to life on his examining table, so there's a little bit Fun. of a conspiracy there. Yeah, military conspiracy. Just in time for Halloween, guys. Right. Is... <laughs> and then I've got another one set in Florida about a woman who, with uh, end stage scleroderma, who suddenly starts going into spontaneous remission. And Marco, there's actually a character in there who is Swiss German. So I may ask you to take a look at it to make sure that it's authentic. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Anytime. I always watch movies and I'm like, this guy's not German. There are a million Germans in Hollywood. Why did they not pick a different guy? Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. All right, Marco, what about you? What's your advice and what are you working on? Uh, yeah, I would say something similar. Um, authenticity is important. Um, I wrote Blackout because I wanted to see myself represented in books. I love Michael Connolly, John Connolly, Dennis Lehane, uh, Jeffrey Deaver, but I never saw a gay protagonist. And so I thought, well, okay, I write what I know, uh, but realized very quickly I did not know a lot of things and had to research them. But I also didn't want to write a gay book. It has nothing to do with anything. This could have, the story could have happened to anyone. And I just wanted to have a character with some of my personal experiences who has his experiences and his friends. And um, I think that's where I want to go in the future as well. Uh, not all of my stories feature LGBTQ uh, characters and they don't have to. But uh, I think whatever you write out there, uh, whoever you are, write authentically. Try to, you know, pick someone that is perhaps not you. But yes, absolutely. Do the research. Go talk to people who have the experience. If you do yourself, do not. I wasn't raised in the States. I didn't. I moved here six and a half years ago. I've visited many, many times over the years, but I didn't go to school here. All that stuff. I had to talk to a ton of people to get the experiences right. So it didn't just kind of come off as, oh yeah, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, it's a lot of work, but I think it's fun because it is very rewarding when people afterwards tell you that you either got it right or they never noticed that you're not from here or whatever, uh, that to me at least uh, was, was quite rewarding. And right now I'm working on two things. I started writing a my first attempt at an actual thriller that's set in Puerto Vallarta. Uh, that's, uh, that was a lot of fun to write, but then I kind of hit a snag and so I'm going back next week uh, to check a little uh, and do some, do some, oh, some- that research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that sounds like Hate it. horrible. there. <laughs> And the second one is my very first attempt at a series, an actual series um, set here in Palm Springs that is going to be a detective novel, uh, noir, but very modern because there's a lot going on here. Everybody always thinks, oh, you know, Palm Springs, Sinatra, cocktails. And there's yeah. some serious stuff going on here all the time around in the valley. And it's a little disconcerting at times and I was like well how about we use this you know and try to do something with it so yeah I'd like to do detective noir uh, but in Palm Springs so we'll see Good. all right Debbie so okay I was given some really good advice with the first book a friend of mine said um writing the book is the easy part and marketing the book is the hard part it's the challenge and I found that to be so true the first time around so um 
I had no idea, for instance, how much public speaking there would be involved. And I think if I had known, I don't know if I would have gone through with the whole thing because I was terrified to get up in front of an audience. But so since that first book launched, I think I've done over 160 at this point or 165 presentations and been in front of audiences of like two people to hundreds of people. And uh, so that has been like a surprising, a surprising thing and, and also surprising that I've actually come to like it. So it's really actually cool to connect with the readers you know, on a on a more intimate, le- well, intimate being in the same room rather than over Zoom, which, you know, yeah. it's evolved into over the pandemic. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it, it all starts with a good product. Like you can, you can market until the cows come home, but if you don't have a good product to begin with, then, you know. Right. Um, okay. What am I working on? So uh, you were talking about being a plotter. Well, I, I think I'm a, a failed plotter. Um, now I, I go out and I buy stacks and stacks of these neon sticky notes. And then I buy these big boards so I could lay out the whole story and everything. And I, you know, I start outlining and everything's great. And so I started this third book and uh, I think I've written about four chapters that I really like. And then all of a sudden, it just started veering off into this direction, like by itself. I had no idea where it so was you're going. you're not a plotter. You're right. <laughs> so, fail. Big fail. But um, so I think <laughs> I kind of have to, have to backpedal a little bit with that one. I have to probably go back a chapter and figure out where it veered away and and start writing a little bit differently. But so it's definitely a thriller. And I think it's going to be pretty dark again. We'll see where it goes by itself steve yeah i like the uh, authentic idea it doesn't have to be um that you've had the exact experience like joel was saying right you know he had to go research behavioral uh i'm working on a manuscript that that actually where my protagonist is a female psychiatrist who wears a cochlear implant and uh so she gets teamed up with a person who was um released from the organization because of being um, unreliable and deemed um, mentally uh, not capable. So yeah, unstable. Thank you very much. Yes. Um, But uh, luckily I just this morning turned in uh, the manuscript for my second book. So I ended up with a three book deal and uh, but it was sort of like right of refusal three book deal it wasn't like you need to do this this and and it took so long that my publisher was very open with me on my first book that it was going to take so long before i would be up in the queue to publish that i just kept writing so i'd written two other books in the two other books in the series and my publisher came back and said this is all very cool i understand it i was in the military somebody else will but it's shorthand that nobody else is going to understand Essentially, like Joel said, <laughs> this is crap. <laughs> and so, so I just spent a month going in and actually adding the detail and making it readable for a more average, you know, an average person that didn't spend, you know, 20 years in the military or whatever like that. So mm-hmm. in the bag, so to speak. The third one is uh, going to I'm going to have to go back and look at it again because I probably was writing in <laughs> shorthand. Um 
but I really got off. I, I really got onto this idea of, and, and most of my friends think I'm crazy to be writing a female protagonist. Um, but if you think, uh, about burn notice and designated survivor, remember the team, the pair of folks in burn notice and the designated survivor, uh, you know, it's interesting. So, so, so far there's been more inter interest, interest in that, uh, idea from, from people interested in movies and TV than, than, uh, publishers. So, uh, but I like the idea of, of stepping outside my comfort zone, right? I, I've already got a fourth book in the Shadow Tear series already lined out, takes place in Cuba and Sinaloa is connected to Cuba and different things like that. Um, don't know if I should, uh, go on a trip <laughs> to yeah, sc scope out the environment. I still have a clearance <laughs> and, and maybe it's not the best idea to go to Cuba to, to, to do a little investigation, but, um, yeah, it's, it's the authentic part is, I mean, most, I think most people don't, don't come to writing. I would hope they don't come to writing thinking what genre should I write in? You know, I mean, they, they have something they love to read They're, you know, mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. And I would say also be open to opportunities. I just had a, a friend. We see him once or twi twice a year. And he came up with this idea for a, a historical book, but not fiction. It was a real event related to the 91 Russian coup when Gorbachev, they were trying to throw out Gorbachev and Yeltsin and all this kind of thing. There were some co companies in Denver that were involved in the communication of what was going on and stuff. So. Uh, I'm open to the different ideas and different, you know, mm -hmm. write a novella, do this short story, other things like that. Um, so I'd say just you know, keep practicing too, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Keep writing, keep practicing. Yep. Well, great. Expanding and growing. Great. Okay, Christy has a final question for you. It's very serious. Very <laughs> serious. Okay, so so <laughs> Kathy and I, when we came up with this episode. We decided that maybe it would be fun to start a crime-fighting team of our own. And we want you guys to offer us one of your characters for a spot on the GOB squad. And so which of your characters would you volunteer and what role on the team would they be? And let's see. We'll start with Steve. Yeah. So in Shadow Tier... Um... There's a counterintelligence officer, Ellie Parker, who plays a big role in the book. And then Lance and Ellie sort of get together you know, <laughs> um, as she starts to understand his story and other things like that. But she's a counterintelligence officer. She's worked with the FBI and other things. So so lead investigator kind of idea. She'd be she'd be a good one for the team. And All I, right. I think you'd like our mindset. Joel. Well, since, uh, I mean, so it's funny because heroic measures, the one I mentioned before about the armed forces medical examiner, actually has a lot of comic book themes and superhero themes. So any of those characters actually would have been oh. perfect. But to stick with one that are already published, um, I would actually have to go with in toxic effects, the kind of ambiguous moral character Dama Branca who is um, kind of a new uh, villain but isn't uh, who shares a lot of history with uh, Dr. Christina Silva the protagonist um, 
She's a, a hired assassin uh, or employed assassin oh, okay. by so, the company. Yep. Yeah. Yep. There we go. We okay. can. But at the same time, she she has memory glitches and she has some morals that she didn't even herself know that she had. So I think she could be uh, pretty helpful as oh. kind of the okay. the tactician. <laughs> okay. There you go. Okay. So we got the tactician. We got counterintelligence. Okay. All right. You ready, Debbie? Yeah. Okay. I, I realize, so my protagonist as well, so I mentioned he's a very broken man um, suffering from PTSD, and he's really barricaded himself in this mansion in Connecticut um, and has all the time in the world on his hands because he doesn't go anywhere. And so over the years, he's become something of a computer whiz, and he spends his time um, trolling these very clandestine chat rooms looking for... Oh, for sure. We need that. <laughs> yeah. So he's a pedophile hunter. Um, he's made a bunch of good relationships with pedophiles. And so it's kind of stuff that the FBI is doing now, but he was at it much earlier and he's very good. Very yeah, good. I think he would be working with Steve's character, trying to figure out where the problems are, and we'd be sending out Joel's. And what about you, Marco? Uh, you'd want Aiden, Aiden Torrance, the detective, the homicide detective, I think. Uh, he's the one who's sort of, he has, is very by the book. Uh, he's very good at what he does. He's very driven and relentless, and uh, he thinks before he acts, unlike my protagonist. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's okay. We've got a full, we've got a full group there. I think, I think we're ready, Kathy. <laughs> Excuse me. Can we get into that, uh, to Debbie's place, the his place? Can we get into it through a cave, maybe? There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I think it should definitely Elevated. be a cave. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as, long, as long as Alfred is his manservant, I think we're in the edge. Perfect. I just going to say, sounds like a... Batman movie. Okay, so when our reader, when our listeners want to reach out to you or learn more about you and buy your book, what's the best place to find you? Website, social media? Steve, why don't you go? Sure, I'm at uh, stevenstrattonusa.com on the website, and I'm also uh, at Stratton Books on Twitter if you want to reach me. Open to DMs and input. Nice. Debbie, how about you? Uh, Debbie Levison, D-E-B-B-I-E. L-E-V-I-S-O-N uh, dot com and it's got all the buy links from there and also a form to email me. I love to hear from readers. Love, love, love. All right. Marco. Uh, yeah, MarcoCarocari.com M-A-R-C-O-C-A-R-O-C-A-R-I dot com. Again, also all the links are there but also if you type in my name, Twitter, Facebook, all the good stuff will come up and uh, just brand me and send me messages. I'm happy to hear from readers unless you attack me. I don't care for that. Yeah, don't say bad stuff. We never want to hear about that. No. Joel. We advocate for that too. Just keep it quiet if you have something bad to say. All right. And social Joel. media is really easy. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok are all at Dr. Joel Shulkin, D-R-J-O-E-L-S-H-U-L-K-I-N. Don't Germanize it and put a C in there. <laughs> <laughs> and the website is authorjoelshulkin.com. Awesome, awesome. And we'll have all these on um, on our show notes too, so anybody, any of the listeners can get it from there and just click on it. Joel, are, are you the one that does the Twitter posts about the movies and wrong answers only? The wrong answers only, yes, that's me. I love yep. those. I follow. <laughs> I follow those along. Yeah. I and on this, and it, 
and on Instagram, I make up my own themes on writing and books and publishing. Uh, my memes, I mean. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm excited to start oh, following too. <laughs> so, well, everybody, it has been such a pleasure to have you guys here. I, I mean, so thankful that you guys could come. And I think really, we just have to give a toast to all of you. To all of you. Cheers. 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 Cheers and thank you so much for having me. Buy some books, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Subscribe to our podcast on our website, gameofbookspodcast.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you liked what you heard, you can give us a five-star rating or review. You can also subscribe on YouTube where you can watch and listen. On gameofbookspodcast.com, you can find all the information about what we talked about on this episode. And you can sign up for our newsletter and enter our fun contests and giveaways. We also post our stories and links on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hope to see you there. I can guarantee you that we had fun today. And we hope you did too. Cheers.